0: Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcast app or visit dakotaspotlight.com.
1: Barbara never arrived at her destination and has never been heard from again. She did not take her clothes, eyeglasses, cigarettes, money, or any other personal belongings with her when she disappeared.
0: So anywhere in that big old case files, all those files you have, is there a... Police incident report, or I guess it would be called an interview report that I've read many of. Like, I, I met Stacey Warder from a law enforcement uh, agent that I met him on this date and I asked him these questions, and this is what he said?
1: Not that we can find in, within the documents.
0: Did the police ever talk to you personally back then? Not that
2: I remember. They might have looked into it more later on in the years, but.
3: I miss her. I'm sorry that I didn't do more back then. That Why didn't I go to him more and go, Dad, let's go down there and talk to him. They haven't talked to any of us, but I didn't understand how an investigation worked, you know, at that age. And I feel guilty that we didn't do enough early on. I feel terrible that this happened to her and that she should have had the chance to live and live a good life and have kids and get married and and then we'd all be hanging out together now instead of doing a podcast about her.
4: I'm sure that you're used to getting voice messages and and everything and and I just couldn't get the words out fast enough. So I decided to do this video message and hopefully just get it out and get it done. I spent the majority of my evening with my mother. This is the very first podcast that she's ever listened to. And I came over to her house to find her physically, I mean, she looked drained. It was hard to see her and I didn't know what was going on. And so we started talking and she told me that she was having a really hard time listening to the podcast. She did not know Barbara. She knew she knows a lot of the people that you speak of that Sandy speaks of in the in the podcast of of everybody there because she went to Webster School. Everybody in that neighborhood went to Webster School. She lived in in that area. The park that she played in was Recreation Park. And I need to tell you, I need to tell you this part of this story because I feel like it's not being said. After listening to the podcast, I have this, obviously this visual that you've painted for us, right? And then I hear my mom's version of it and it is much different. It is real life. She was there, she lived it. She was a 14 year old girl then. And she said that Recreation Park was a scary, scary place specifically at night and she goes well I never went in there at night but I knew what was in there because you should have seen that what was in there during the day and the way that it affected her as she spoke of it um is is something to be said she's visibly upset at speaking of this because the whole town was in an uproar at this time and it was haunting because everywhere you went there was pictures of Barbara on milk cartons on 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 doorways, you know, everywhere you went. And she said it was was terrifying because it could have been anyone. Could have been any of us. That was my neighborhood. That could have been me, is what she said. And everybody was just livid because they knew she wasn't a runaway. And to see that still affect her so deeply to this day, 40 years later, as someone who didn't even know her is... She was visibly crying and, and upset, and, you know, this, this story affected a lot of people.
0: You're listening to Season 5 of Dakota Spotlight, A Better Search for Barbara. My name is James Walner. Dakota Spotlight is a production of Form Communications. One petite and missing 15-year-old daughter three persons of interest, all of them deceased. Stacy Werder, one of the last people to see Barbara alive, hangs himself in jail three months after Barbara disappears. Frank de la Pena left Williston three weeks after Barbara disappeared and killed two young girls a few days later in Wyoming. Then he hung himself in jail. We'll learn more about him in a future episode. Finally, Frank Cotton, Barbara's older brother. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Cotton family, about Frank, and about Louise. I also have some new information and new thoughts about the unnamed friend, that infamous dinner at Cakes and Cones restaurant, the hotel in Scobie, Montana, and finally, I'll ask, is there possibly a big break lurking in this case? Possibly very, very soon. Thank you for joining me on this better search for Barbara.
3: Some of the things that he liked to do um, could kill you.
5: She's not going to, you're going to run away with no money.
3: He enjoyed choking and suffocating me and my sister. She was,
6: I don't know,
3: one of the kindest people I knew. But back then it was a popular hangout for the kids
5: that got into trouble. Because how would nobody know about this
4: boyfriend?
5: Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Makes me angry to this day. I called the cops and I said, hey, do you want me to come down and we'll have a conversation? Nothing. No response.
3: But mostly gentle and kind is what I remember about her. Her
1: boyfriend watched her walk to Recreation Park, which is five blocks from her home. Uh, Louise Cotton called, and she reports that she thinks her daughter is in Scobie, Montana with a Stacey Wardner. They might be in room 205 at Pioneer Hotel.
0: Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. I want to start out with an update about the unnamed friend and that now infamous quote-unquote dinner at Cakes and Cones restaurant. I announced this update, or correction I guess, on the Dakota Spotlight Facebook group yesterday and it caused quite a bit of agitation, confusion, and frustration by the members of the group. It will probably confuse and frustrate you, too. For whatever reason, in my interview with Williston P.D., Detective Hendricks and myself did not manage to communicate well enough to get this detail right. I thought it was stated that the unnamed friend, I'm talking about the person that was with or saw Barbara at a party, I thought it was stated that this friend was with Stacy and Barbara earlier in the evening, possibly at that dinner at Cakes and Cones. Apparently that is not accurate, or at least it's never been substantiated or confirmed. I got this correction or new information from Sandy Evanson, Barbara's childhood friend, who just this week, for the first time in 40 years, was spoken to by investigators. They reached out to Sandy after this podcast came out in the beginning of March of 2021. I spoke with Sandy Evanson just a few hours after she met with the detectives at Williston PD. She was understandably mentally and I think emotionally drained at this point after 40 years of trying to be heard sandy told me that regarding this unnamed friend who was with barbara at a party that night she learned the following from williston pd
3: as far as what i got from detective Hendricks, the unnamed friend that places her at a party was not at dinner with them the only one that seems to remember that there was a dinner or that was told that from what I can account from is me by Louise the night she calls me to ask me if I've seen from Barb.
0: I emailed Detective Hendricks about this confusion and got the following response. In our investigation we can only show that Louise is the only person who knew Stacy or puts Stacy in Williston. No information has come forward that anyone else knew Stacy was in Williston. If someone does have that information, we would love to know exactly who that person is and what they remember. So hopefully we finally got this detail straight, right? And if you feel frustrated, I'm with you. I'm frustrated as well. I'm honestly doing my best to communicate well, ask questions in the right way, so that you and me and everyone else can get the most correct and accurate information about Barbara's disappearance. The reason I'm doing this is because I'd like to find out what happened to her. I know that sounds like an obvious statement, but I want to remind everyone that that's why we are here, for Barbara, to find out what happened to her. Are we speculating about various scenarios? Yes, but we need the very best and most accurate facts we can find or get in order to make those speculations of any value. All I can say is I'm honestly trying my best, trying to be clear and ask direct questions. Another thing I want to talk about is a new thought I've had about how Louise Cotton might have come to the conclusion that her daughter might have been in Scobie, Montana, at a hotel by Monday. We know that Louise called the police on Sunday and told them that Barbara had not come home and she'd been with a guy named Stacy who used to wash dishes at Cakes and Cones. During this first call, it doesn't seem that Louise knows Stacy's last name. On Monday, Louise calls the police again, and this time she does know Stacy's last name. She tells the police that she thinks her daughter might be at the Pioneer Hotel in room 205 in Scobie, Montana. I believe that in the last episode, I speculated that someone must have told her this on Sunday or Monday. But now, after speaking with Sandy Evanson, there's another possible path to this conclusion. In fact, this path is the same path I would have taken as a parent. Here is Sandy Evanson and I working through it on the phone just the other day after she had her first interview ever with the police.
3: Well, and if Louise had felt like that she had just stayed with him that night and then maybe like stayed out too late or didn't come home that night and Barb was scared to come home and this crew that he was with or whatever, where he ends up going to Montana, because how does he get there, or whatever, that Louise feels like if she hears a tip that he went to Montana, oh, that Barb must be with him. Just, you know, assuming as a mother, you don't want to think the worst that she's kidnapped. Oh, she must be with him, afraid to come home.
0: Let's say Louise ran into Barbara and um, Stacy at Cakes and Cones. And he mentions, I'm leaving tomorrow or I'm leaving Monday for, she's, at, you know, how's work? Yep. Well, good, we're going to SCOBY on Monday. You know. Yep. Maybe that's where she gets it.
3: That could very well be likely. And so she just assumes they must still be together.
0: So why would you have the room number, though?
3: Yeah, that's a good question.
0: Like, maybe she calls up there and asks, okay, could you call the hotel and ask, is there a Stacey Werder what room number and they give them give her the room number that's possible today in 2021 for security and privacy reasons you usually can't call a hotel and get any information about their guests but I bet in 1981 if you called the Frontier Hotel in Scobie Montana and told them your daughter was missing the person at the desk might just help you out maybe the person at the front desk says well yes we do have a Stacy Werder here in room 205. But wait, you ask, how did Louise get Stacy's last name then? Well, Sandy Evanson and I walked through that, too.
3: It's so funny to me, though, that Louise already, by Monday, or early on, knows his last name. There must have been something by the police verified to the, for her to that, or from... The owners of Cakes and Cones, Brown and Joyce Merrick.
0: That's what I was just going to say. If, if I was Louise, I would want his last name and I'd go right to the, his employer and say, what's his last name? I need to find my daughter. And they would tell and,
3: her. Yeah, and she knew them very well, so they would have totally tried to help her.
0: And then maybe they even knew, you know, or she knew who he worked for. And she called that company, and they said, well, they're off to, they're working up in Scobie. And then she calls the hotel, asks for Stacey Warder. They give her the room number. She calls cops. I mean, she's like a detective herself if she's doing that.
3: If that was my kid, that's what I'd be doing.
0: Well, I'll let you go here, unless there's something else you want to say.
3: A million things,
0: but. Sounds like it was kind of a rough visit at the police
3: it was uh, I I didn't expect it to be that hard on me I really didn't I've cried I cried more today up there and afterwards than I have probably in 40
0: years that's because you've got it all bottled up and you've been trying to get someone to listen to you for this long you know and then three days into the podcast they call you well yeah we'll talk so of course you're you're all bottled up and then by the time you get in there it's almost like not too late but
3: Forty years of emotions are coming out all at once.
0: Let's talk now about Barbara's older brother Frank and a bit about Louise, too. In my interview with Detective Hendricks, she told us that Frank Cotton was and is a person of interest in this case. The following segment, about 12 minutes long, is something I had prepared for episode 5. I've been pushing it up because so much has been happening so quickly. I'll play this segment from a couple weeks ago for you now, and then, after that, I'm going to follow it up with another new interview with Kent Cotton, Barbara's brother. We will also hear from Frank Cotton's daughter, that's Kent, Kathy, and Barbara's niece. So here we go. Here is a segment I had ready a couple of weeks ago. If you consume true crime content at all, you already know that when someone gets murdered or goes missing, the first persons the police will focus on are those close to the victim the husband, the wife, the boyfriend, the roommate. In this segment, we'll look a little closer at the Cotton family and ask could a family member be responsible? Here is Barbara's childhood friend, Sandy Evanson, again.
3: Sometimes, you know, like as you get older, you realize things, you know, like the police say they start inside and work outside the circle. When I was a kid, I wanted to just believe probably that it was just some bad guy that did something. But now I've opened up to could it be friends or family? That would really break my heart if that was something that was somebody I knew.
0: Here are some things we have not talked about yet. Barbara Cotton did not just have two siblings, Kathy and Kent. She had six more, all of them older. Before Louise divorced her husband, the family lived in a trailer home near Tioga, North Dakota, one hour's drive west of Williston. Here's Kathy.
3: It
7: was a small trailer house. We didn't have a lot. Barb and I always shared a room. My earliest memory is just me and Barb and my brother Kent.
0: The family did not have a whole lot, and so the kids found ways to entertain themselves.
7: We spent a lot of time outside playing. There was a row of trees that went around the trailer house in Tioga, and we used to play in in the row of trees all the time.
0: At times, Louise would take her kids ice fishing.
7: Yeah, we'd go out onto the ice. She'd drive a little ways onto the ice, and she would cut a hole with a, a handsaw. And
0: if we got bored
7: fishing, we... We had ice skates and, and, you know, and sleds and stuff, so we could, you know, play on the ice or go playing in the snow.
0: But all was not good in the Cotton home.
7: I have bad memories of my father. the The small amount of time I spent with him growing up were not good ones. <laughs> yeah, he was a bad man, you know, yeah. And there was a lot of drinking and violence in the home.
0: Which led to problems with Mr. and Mrs. Cotton
7: wow, my mom and dad really did not get along. (laughs) Uh, I I have wicked memories from those two (laughs) fighting. You know, it was like, yeah.
0: (laughs) The parents divorced when Barbara was about seven years old. Louise moved to Williston with her three youngest, Kent, Barbara, and Kathy.
3: They were very scared that their dad was going to find out where they lived and she didn't want her ex-husband to find out where they were didn't have a lot of
7: contact with our dad after my mom moved out
0: i should point out that when barbara went missing their father had passed away their father cannot have anything to do with barbara's disappearance in williston the family moved in across the alley from sandy evanson and louise cotton went to work to support her three youngest kids as best she could this meant that she was often not even home in the mornings before the kids went to school
7: yes my mom would be to- I had to be at work at like 5 o'clock in the morning, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, she would lay our clothes out the night before. Even when I was in first grade, yeah, we were in charge of getting ourselves up and off to school.
0: Perhaps Louise chose this small home due to its proximity to the elementary school.
7: Yeah, um, we lived a half a block away from our grade school. So, yeah, we walked, got through the alley, and there it was.
0: And that's where this small subset of the Cotton family started a new life. At some point, Barbara's much older brother, Frank, moved to Williston and lived off and on with Louise and the three younger kids. Frank was born in 1949, and so he was about 16 years older than Barbara, almost 20 years older than Kathy. Today, Kent and Kathy have fuzzy memories of exactly when their much older brother, Frank, was living with them.
7: He was either living with us or shacking up with a girl.
0: Barbara's best friend Diane remembers Frank as the older brother who bossed his younger siblings around a bit, maybe attempting to take on a parental role.
5: Louise was the mom, but I think um, Frank is the one that ruled the home.
0: Diane also recalls that Barbara claimed that Frank used to hit her in some capacity.
5: No, she told me he hit her. I never saw it. She told me he was hitting her.
0: I want to point out that neither Kent or Kathy have any recollection of Frank hitting Barbara.
5: All I know is Frank was a strange dude, um, and I know Barb did not trust him or like him. That's why she felt safe at my house. There was no, you know, violence or... So that's why she wanted to move in.
0: Apparently, Frank had a strong affinity for consuming very rare or raw meat.
5: Oh, yeah, he was a weird dude. He would go to the cafe... When I was working doing dishes and he had a blood disorder so he would come in there and order like liver fried on each side like 18 seconds or something and then come out so it'd be all bloody because he needed the blood or something. Some kind of iron deficiency thing or something but he was pretty quiet and I don't even know if he had friends.
0: Kathy also remembers this raw meat thing from a time she tagged along with Frank when he went hunting.
7: I went out hunting with him one time as a child, never do it again. Kill the deer, Phil dresses it, whacks a chunk of meat off him, starts eating it right there in the middle of the field, raw meat, right fresh off the deer. Then he cuts the heart out and starts eating that.
0: I need to say this, as repulsive as this sounds to me personally, apparently it falls into a category known as post-kill rituals for hunters. A quick look online shows me that there is strong debate among hunters about the validity of the historical accuracy of this ritual, eating the raw flesh of a fresh kill. Some say it's a type of Native American prayer, other hunters dismiss it as absurd and unsafe. I only note this to point out that, as bizarre as this behavior sounds to me, and I assume many of you, Barbara's older brother Frank might have been less a vampire and more just a man with what I guess I'll call a different lifestyle than mine.
7: And he never ate his meat cooked.
0: Kent Cotton has a different take on his older brother, Frank. What's your take on Frank? Uh, Me and
2: Frank got along good. Um, As far as him and Kathy, know, they butted heads big time.
0: While Kent Cotton got along fine with his older brother, Frank, none of the women, who were just girls back then, had great things to say. Here's Kathy again.
7: I stayed the hell away from him. If mom wasn't home and he was home, I went to the park. I, I, I Yeah, I, you wouldn't catch me alone with him, period, at any given
0: time. Kathy feels she cannot fully dismiss the possibility that her older brother Frank might have somehow been responsible for her sister's disappearance. And she speculates that her mother might have understood this or known about it somehow.
7: The pieces that I put together are not good does not end up into a good puzzle.
0: Kathy took care of her mother Louise during the last few months of her life in 2004.
7: And she kept telling me I'm going to burn in hell for what I did. And I would ask her, "Mom, what are you talking about?" and she'd get really mad at me and tell me to never mind. She didn't want to share something. She was hiding something.
0: I asked Kathy if she could elaborate on this.
7: She she would sit up at the kitchen table and she would put her head in her hands and kind of rock back and forth a little bit and then shake her head back and forth a little bit and then almost start crying and say, I'm going to burn in hell for what I did. I'm going to burn in hell for what I did. And I'd say, Mom, what are you talking about? And she'd. Lift her head up real quick and look at me with this angered look on her face. Just never mind.
0: Hmm. Was she and did she have dementia?
7: No. But she was getting closer to death. You know. She was deteriorating more and more. She wasn't on painkillers at the time. She refused to take them.
0: She wasn't high.
7: Nope.
0: Could do you think it could have been that she just felt guilty about could it have been that she had an affair with someone I'm just trying to find other
7: if it was you know something minor like that she would have told me and then she wouldn't have gotten mad at me when I asked her
0: I asked Kathy what possible motive her older brother Frank would have to harm Barbara
7: um my bro my mom and my brother were very close Frank would have done anything for my mom and he was not happy that him, or that Barb and her were not getting along, and he would always take mom's side, wouldn't hear out anything else. Well, okay, to put a little insight on this, if my brother Frank did have something to do with my sister's disappearance, my mom would have protected him till the ends of this earth.
0: Here is Sandy Evanson again.
3: I don't think that Louise was involved in killing her daughter, no way. Tell Louise's last days, Louise still had a poster looking for Barb on her door. My mom would be over there and somebody would call and there'd be nobody on the other end, like just a wrong number and they wouldn't say anything. And Louise would go, Barb, Barb, is that you? One time I was at Louise's, and that happened. And I heard her say that. So if Louise knew that something happened to Barb, that's just strange that she would be going, Barb, is that you? And always hoping that Barb would call and everything. Now, is that an act? I don't think so. I personally don't think so, but Is it out of the realm of possibility that if Frank did do something to Barb like he went looking for her that night and found her and they got into a fight in the car or something and something bad happened in that car and then Louise covered for it? That could only be the explanation I see because she wouldn't have wanted to maybe send her son away for life if she knew her daughter was already dead. But at the same instance, her still looking for Barb all those years and still thinking that she might call just seems unlikely that she knew something about what happened to Barb and was faking all that.
0: This concludes that segment that I had prepared two weeks ago. Now, something else. After he heard my interview with the Williston PD, Kent Cotton told me he wanted to speak more about all of this. Hey, Kent, it's James. I'm recording. Okay. So, so we're here on the record. So you heard the uh, interview with the police the other day and your brother Frank being named as a person of interest. And since then, you want to speak out about that a little bit, right?
2: Yes, I did. Let's
0: get right into it. And what what is it you want to say about Frank?
2: Well, I guess I just want everyone to, all the listeners to understand what, how I seen my brother and <clears throat> how he was, I don't know, influential to me, I guess. When growing up as a child, I really never did have a father fig- figure, except for my brother Frank. He's kind of stepped in. He was the one that basically took me hunting and fishing and did all the things that a father type would do. He took me paddle fishing, took me bird hunting. I never really did get into deer hunting until later on after I got married. He, he took me out doing that.
0: Yeah. You
2: know, if I had trouble with my vehicles, he was there to help me. He had it figured out, well, he'd tell me I'd have to do it myself, and he'd and get me started and let me have at it. I had a little green moss at pickup in high school. I ran a little oil, oil or something and burnt the cylinders on it, and, well, he was working for Cummins Diesel at the time, so he gets... Done work, and on a shift at five, and he has me stop by, and we spent all night tearing apart and rebuilding it. So he's, and someone mentioned to me one time when they found out I was Frank's brother, and goes, "Oh, I know Frank. He's the kind of guy that give you the shirt off his back."
0: That's what people say about Barbara, kind of. Yeah,
2: yeah. So he was now as a father figure, he may not have been the best on some issues, because yes, he was a womanizer. Okay. Yes. So go to the bars and that kind of thing. But he did have a specific or a certain type of woman that he was attracted to and as Native Americans. And that's all he ever dated.
0: Do you have any sense of how it got to this point that Frank is a person of interest?
2: Um, no, I don't have any clue. The only thing is, is if my sister pointed him that way, Kathy, I that would be the only guess for whatever reason, I don't, maybe she's seen something at some point in time, but other than that, I know
0: that would be my only guess. Did you ever witness any kind of violence between him and your sisters or you know, outside the realm of what some people might call sibling fights? Not that I can recollect,
2: you know, I, um, he might've got into argument with my sister Kathy or something I don't know if I remember that or if it just, I don't, I'm not positive. I only honestly can tell you, I've only seen him mad three times. One of them, one time he had this fiberglass canoe, canoe and I could use it any anytime I wanted. I just grabbed it and took it. He didn't say a word. He was okay with that. Well, I loaned it out to somebody that he didn't care for. And that's the only time he's ever raised his voice at me. And he was extremely mad. I said, well, I apologize and I said, I'll go get it. He goes, I already got it. I already took it back. So, and the other time, this was towards the end of his life, he had cancer and he wasn't feeling well. And we were in the store, and I don't know what I said, but it set him off a little bit. And it wasn't anywhere intense like it was with the canoe, but he did. was a little angry. Yeah, and, and I don't remember what it was, you know. And, and, I, and I've been around people that's been extremely ill, and you get irritable.
0: Yeah, that would do it to me, too. He was dying. He was dying, basically.
2: Yes. And the other time, I remember we were sitting at my mom's house, and my mom felt like she owned the front street in front of her house. No one should park there.
0: You're talking in Williston, right?
2: In Williston. And so there she got in a tissy fit with a uh, next-door neighbor's kid. It was. Uh, he was walking down the alley and yelled out and some rude remarks to my my mother, and both me and my brother were there while we went screaming out the door after him. And Frank caught him, didn't grab him or anything, just stood there and was ready to go. And that kid was going, well, if you hit me, I'm under 18. He goes, I know the law. All you have to do is swing at me once, and it's self-defense. That's only three times I can honestly say that I've seen him really angry.
0: So you weren't afraid of him?
2: No. No, not at all. I He was a loner. He never really had close friends. Did things, if we went hunting, it was with me or he went by himself.
0: I asked Kent if he could confirm that his brother ate more or less raw meat. Yeah, he didn't like it cooked. It was pretty
2: much, if it was on the grill. He just slapped it on and left it in, you know a couple seconds here and there and pulled it off. Hamburgers are pretty basically raw. Well, I, I like my I like my steaks rare to medium rare. I don't like them overcooked either. But he liked them bloody rare.
0: But I told Kent about Kathy's story that she had gone hunting with their brother and that she had witnessed him eating fresh flesh from the deer he had just killed.
2: Well, I don't know when she ever went hunting with him. For in the first place, and second place, all years I ever went hunting with him, we never did that. My first deer I was twenty-one. And, yeah, we never did that. We just gutted it out and took it home and took care of it.
0: He didn't whack off a piece of the heart and eat it right in front of you then?
2: Not that I can recall. I could see him doing it, but he never had me do it.
0: And regardless, irregardless, I've looked it up a little bit, and it is, some hunters do that as part of a mm-hmm. ritual. I, I've, so.
2: I've heard that, I've seen that on TV. I've watched it on TV on some hunting shows, you know.
0: Yeah, it just goes to show you how you frame information can really change mm-hmm. the how it's perceived, right? You know right. If, if you right. say Frank Cotton's a suspect in your sister's disappearance and he lived on raw blood, you know. Right, like, right, right. If you look at it a little closer, it turns out a lot of people have this you know, right. a dietary preference and maybe some hunting ritual thing. Wow. Do you consider Frank a person of interest in Barbara's disappearance yourself? No, I don't. Okay.
2: I don't know where they got that, the police got that from, or why they think that.
0: I asked Kent Cotton another thing. Where did his brother Frank live at the time of Barbara's disappearance? This has been confusing because I've heard both that he might have lived in the house with Louise and the kids, or he might have lived next door. I now believe that at the time of Barbara's disappearance, he may have been living next door, but certainly not in the house. It seems that if he ever did live in that house, It was long after Barbara went missing.
2: Well, he lived lived up front in front of us. Um, I don't know when he moved in there, the building in front of us. The house that we lived in was about the size of a two-car garage, one floor. Yeah, yeah, about the size of a two-car garage, and it's just one floor. His mom slept on the couch. I slept in one room, and the two girls
0: slept in another room. Did you ever witness anything between your brother and your and Barbara that didn't seem right somehow to you like beyond again beyond s- sibling stuff? No.
2: Um for the most part that, I can't say he had a whole lot to do with my sisters just cuz I think it's more of a guy thing.
0: Sandy Evanson told me that, you know, she remembers Frank, you know, your neighbor. Mm-hmm. and childhood friend and she says he was never grooming the to her recollection he was never trying to hang around with the, you know the girls
2: he never paid me any particular mind. i don't know that sounds bad but it's not you know it's it's not you know he'd say hi and i don't know if he ever bought me anything for the birthdays or anything i couldn't remember that i know for one christmas he bought me a 22 hornet you know and i don't know if he bought the girls anything
0: Did you ever get a sense that he was trying to be the the father figure in the home and set boundaries with the girls and boss them around? Oh, no,
2: no, he never, not that I can think of. My recollection, him and Kathy might have got into it for something, but I can't remember for sure. That would have been way young.
0: So at the time of Barbara's disappearance, he wasn't, I know it's been said that your mother and Barbara were not getting along, that Barbara was trying to grow up too quickly, but you don't have a sense that, Frank was part his, of all that conflict. Put,
2: two, put his two cents in, no.
0: Interesting, yeah.
2: No, he okay. didn't. he stayed out of that.
0: All right. Well, is there anything else you want to say about Frank or tell people? Um,
2: well, I've seen a description on your Facebook page about how he dressed and stuff, and that was pretty much accurate. He always had a black cowboy hat, and it's kind of felt, and he always dressed in black, and he did have long hair and no facial hair. It is a cowboy hat, and is uh, to me it it's like a felt? It's just a regular cowboy hat, basically, I guess. You know, it's always black, and he you always know, pretty much dressed
0: entirely in black for the most part. And I have I don't think we found any criminal records for him yet. Um, my well, knowledge. there'd be
2: one that I know of, because he got a DUI right when I got married. But as far as being arrested for anything like that,
0: not that I know of. This concludes my interview with Kent. After this break, we'll meet Frank Cotton's daughter, and I'll tell you a little more about why Frank Cotton might have become a person of interest again in later years. We will also ask, is there a big break coming very soon in this case? Williston PD told us that Frank Cotton is and was a person of interest back in the day. The information I've been able to gather indicates that when Frank was interviewed initially, whenever that was a long time ago, there was something about his behavior that raised a few eyebrows. That's all I really know about why the police might have been interested in Frank a long, long time ago, and I don't have dates and I cannot substantiate any of this as being true. However, an older sibling in the Cotton family named Diane did explain for me why she felt in later years that maybe Frank did have something to do with all of this. What she told me was that after Frank Cotton died in 1999, she felt like her mother Louise maybe kind of stopped looking for Barbara. She did explain to me that this was just her perception, and yet there are some things that sort of line up with this idea if you want to look at it that way. For example, in 1998, which was actually a year before Frank died, Louise had Barbara legally declared deceased. The other thing Louise did was this. After Frank passed away in June of 1999, he was buried at a cemetery in the town of Epping, North Dakota. Louise had a headstone made up for her son, Frank, but it's a dual headstone. Barbara's name is also on it. The headstone lists Barbara as missing. So it is clear that Louise, at this point in her life, is sort of closing this chapter on her search for Barbara, at least at some level. I'm not saying she never looked for Barbara again, but she's getting her ducks in a row, and perhaps because I should add this, that this is just five years before Louise passed away. When her son Frank died in 1999, did Louise Cotton feel like she no longer had to keep up an act and pretend like she was looking for her daughter? That is, if she thought or knew that her son Frank had something to do with Barbara's disappearance. Or is this simply the behavior of a mother, five years before her death, feeling like she can't do anything else, and she wants to get her ducks in a row, she doesn't want to leave a mess behind her, she needs some kind of closure for herself. And by the way, I've recently learned that a lot of people are not even aware that Barbara's name is on a headstone, and so I kind of wish I would have mentioned that earlier in this podcast. As I said, I also spoke with Frank's daughter, Angela. Here is a snippet of that interview.
6: Uh, I'm Angela McCarter. I'm Frank Cotton's oldest child. I'm 51. I was born in 69.
0: Do you think your father could have anything to do with Barbara's disappearance?
6: Oh, hell no. Dad did a lot of hunting. If he wasn't working on vehicles for a friend of his, he was out hunting, and she always said that Main The main reason why he went out hunting was to see if he could find Barb.
0: Really? So he was looking for her? Yep. Do you think your brothers would talk to me?
6: I've already talked to my youngest brother, Chris, and he has no desire to. As far as he's concerned, um, neither one of them know anything, so he doesn't understand why he want to talk to you.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Anything you want to say to I don't know, the Cotton family or um, anything at all, I guess. I
6: just want to tell Aunt Kathy, Uncle Kent, Aunt Dorothy, I love them so much. And I wish I could do more for them.
0: What do you think? Did Frank Cotton have something to do with his sister's disappearance? Or was it Stacy Werder? Or was it perhaps Frank de la Pena, whom we'll learn more about in a coming episode? Will we have to wait another 40 years to figure this out? Or will there be a big, big, big break in this case very, very soon? Some of Barbara Cotton's family seem to think or hope there will be. But if the Williston Police Department are on the verge of a very big break, a major break in the case, which I really hope they are, they are certainly not going to let on about it. I've been told that there are potentially some human remains that you want to look into involved, uh, related to this case. Can you comment on that?
1: I have no idea what that means.
0: <laughs> there are no human remains, so you're not... Um...
1: So are you, like, I, I, and I'm not trying to beat around, I just genuinely don't know where that comes from. So are you saying, like if someone, in, like, emphasizing that we have remains or we're searching for remains or there is remains because if there is, I want to know.
0: <laughs> that there are remains, but you haven't been able to get to them yet. Potential remains.
1: No, that is not, that's not factual at all.
0: It's not factual at all that, like, you're waiting for ground to thaw or something like that.
1: Not, no, I have no knowledge where remains are for barbed Cotton. That is
0: Potentially, I don't know, you know. Okay. Interesting. Wow. Very interesting.
1: Like, I'm trying to think of how to word this. So there is leads and places where, you know, since we've re-looked at this case, you know, we've got a lead sheet of lots of things that we want to do in the future. Um, if I knew where Barb Cotton was, and if I knew where her remains were, if, if that is the case, we would have them. That is, that. there's no waiting on that. I, I wouldn't let. <laughs> I mean, if I had confirmation where I, if regardless of where she's at in the United States, if she is anywhere, that that's not something we wait on.
0: Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications, researched, written, recorded, and edited by me, James Wollner. This season is dedicated to my daughters and to all daughters everywhere. Some music in this season, including the song you're listening to now, provided by North Dakota-born, former Wishick area resident and UND grad Isaac Turner of Kalamazoo, Michigan, and his seemingly infinite number of musical bands and projects. This band is named Wowza in Kalamazoo. We also heard a little from his bands Out and the Hollis Group. Search for Wowza Out and the Hollis Group on Bandcamp.com or see the links in the show notes. Thanks much, Isaac and friends. To learn more about Missing Kids, check out the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at missingkids.org. To contact me, shoot me an email at dakotaspotlight at gmail.com. If you're loving this season, please tell your friends in real life and on social media and give me a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. And why not come and join us at the Dakota Spotlight Facebook group. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Season 5, A Better Search for Barbara. Be safe, stay warm, and see you next time.